Hi, this is Stacy, and I listen to the When Dating Hurts podcast. Here's why I listen. I found When Dating Hurts after experiencing a domestic violence incident with somebody I'd been dating for about a year. At the time, I didn't feel like I could tell my friends or my family what was happening, so I was searching for information, stories, statistics, anything that might validate what I was feeling. I listened alone in my car on the three-hour drive to and from my ex's place. Every guest provided something valuable, whether it was validation or information. Hearing the ways other people coped with their situation and what their lives looked like after helped me in more ways than one. I also have to thank Bill for his ability to turn the tragedy of losing his daughter into his steadfast persistence on the topic of domestic abuse. Knowing there was at least one person out there who might applaud my ability to get out might have saved my life. I know it's saving the lives of others too, so... Thank you, Bill. We can't thank you enough. The When Dating Hurts podcast is rated one of the most popular relationships podcasts in the world. Why is that? It's our guests. Whether you're listening to subject matter experts or domestic violence survivors, you know you're hearing what you need to know. And that is the truth about dating and domestic violence. Why it happens, how it happens, when it happens, where it happens, and how victims become survivors. This podcast is a powerful way for you, your friends, and your family to stay informed and stay safe. Thank you for your support. Charisse sent me an email, very nice email, but told her story from the time she was growing up through meeting her abuser and dealing with how that went. And she offered to come on and tell her story. And there's a lot to be learned from it. There's a lot to be learned about red flags. There are all kinds of twists and turns that she wants to share with us. So Charisse, welcome to the When Dating Hurts podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm so glad that you're joining us. And what I usually do here is ask people to kind of wind the clock back to what was it like growing up at home with your family, and then we'll kind of move into Cody when we get to that part. But let's go ahead and tell me about what home life looked like. So I grew up in rural Missouri. For the most part, for a while, like my family life was somewhat normal. However, there was a death in the family and it kind of just rocked the whole family. My dad and my mom got really heavily into drugs. My dad was an alcoholic. I think the drugs and alcohol abuse were kind of dormant. Like when they were in their 20s, they weren't the best responsible people. But then for probably a decade, they kind of cleaned up and decided to raise their kids. But even then, it was never really cleaned up. Like, my dad was still, like, heavily drinking. And from the earliest I remember, he was on cocaine. Like, I remember being seven years old and finding his cocaine stash in an old car we had in our backyard. So You mentioned someone died in the family. Who was that? My uncle died in my family. That was my mother's brother. Um, um. 
actually died of a drug overdose, unfortunately. Uh. And once that happened, the whole family, the whole support system just kind of went downhill. Like, I mean, obviously there was underlying problems when my uncle was alive. Like there was still drug abuse and alcohol abuse, but we were still a family that all got together and there was like still support in a dysfunctional way, of course. But once he passed away, it just, everything kind of went downhill. My mom got really depressed and she was using drugs and my dad was also depressed and he was drinking more than usual, which I didn't even think was possible. And, you know, growing up, like, there's only a few happy memories, like really, um, my mom and dad like constantly fought. There would be screaming matches outside in our yard, like, you know, it'd be really embarrassing because, you know, in a rural town, like everyone knows everyone and our neighbors are talking. So it was not great. Like I never saw what a healthy relationship looks like growing up ever. So. I hear this from a number of people that if you grow up in a household where that type of thing is going on, that somehow, even though it's disturbing, it kind of imprints you as to that's what, in a way, normal looks like, or that's what a loving couple looks like. Do you think that that was in your mind at all? Or did you see it even at that young age as being, this is wrong? I was a big fan of movies and I was like, I think that's what love's supposed to look like. But, you know, I was like, well, no one's happy. And this is just how it is. There's always supposed to be yelling and secrets. And that's just the way that relationships work. I really honestly thought that. I still, like, I thought that for a really long time. Up until I met my current partner, to be honest. I was like, well... There's no happy, there's no truly happy couples and they're all toxic. It's a very sad world to live in if you think that. I mean, I understand what you're saying. Would you be thinking, well, there are all these bad times, but then again, there's these kind of lovey-dovey times too. And there's kind of like, I don't know, Christmas morning, so to speak, you know, with presents. So there are good times, but they're mixed with bad times. It's kind of just this, this kind of recipe of horribleness and nice I'm guessing, I don't know this, that you were feeling some of that. I mean, I feel like there was definitely love, but there was no, I feel like there wasn't love between my parents really that I ever saw. My dad, he was more of a loving one. He would leave like long love notes for my mom because he was a long haul truck driver. So he would be gone two weeks at a time. And she would just throw away the letter. Like she didn't really seem to have an emotion tied to it. And when he was lovey-dovey, she would kind of push him away. And I, that's what I learned to do. Like he would try to give me a hug and I would just push him away because that's what my mom was doing. And I, I still don't really know like why stay married to someone if you're just going to push them away constantly. But that's just what I grew up with. Like, Oh, your partner is just going to be a pain in your side and not on your team. So That is a rough start. Did you have any siblings? I did. I was the youngest. I would have an older brother and sister. They're a bit older. There was an age gap of seven and six years apart. Also, their dad was from a different state. Technically, we were stepbrother and sister, but we never looked at it that way because they grew up with me and my dad 
raised them. So we never looked at it that way. But yeah, so growing up, there was good times and bad times, as I as I said, but really things went pretty terrible in the summer of 2007. My mom was diagnosed with schizophrenia. She was hearing voices in her heads and she had delusions. That summer, obviously there was an age gap with my siblings, so they were already grown up and moved out of the house and I was 13 and I was alone with her because my dad was on the road. That's tough. She did, yeah, it was... It was just me and her, and like sometimes it was a lot of fun, but the summer in particular was not fun because she one night said that she heard voices in her head that said they needed to kill me, that she needed to kill me, which is a very common thing in bipolar schizophrenia. Oh my goodness. Yeah, two weeks before my 14th birthday, I woke up to a cord wrapped around my throat and she had tried to kill me in my sleep. I knew that my best friend was coming over at 9 a.m. the next day, so when she had woken me up, it was 5.45 in the morning, and I knew that if I could just last the three hours, my friend will be knocking at the door, and I can scream or do what I need to do. Like I said, this is like a different can of worms, so... Yeah, but you had a cord wrapped around your neck. How did you get out of that? Well, the thing is, is my mom's sickness, she also believed that everyone was poisoning her, so she wouldn't really eat much. She was, like, very frail and weak. And so I was able to pull her off of me, and she kept on trying to, like, come back at me. But I told her, I remember I told her, you know, like, you can do this, that's fine, but can I pray first? I kept on making up excuses, and she's like, yeah, you can pray first. I just remember saying, like, can I go in the other room to pray first? And, of course, she followed me, and I got on my, like, hands and knees, and I, like, started praying and, like, crying and At that point, she, like, was on the other side of the room, so I got up and ran upstairs and went to the only only room that had a lock on the door. I grew up in a really old house, so there just wasn't, there wasn't locks. The upstairs bedroom had a lock on it, so I ran up there, and I, you know, I was like, maybe I can crawl out of the window, but I couldn't because all the windows were nailed down because... I don't really know why they were nailed down, but they were nailed down, so I couldn't escape, and I just kept on pleading with her, can you please not do this, can you please not do this, and I stayed in that locked room for quite a while, and she had talked me into coming downstairs, and so... And you did. And it was just a long few hours of pleading with her, um, she like tried to like hook me again, and she couldn't. She's a pretty small woman. Like, I was about the same height as her at that time. I was able to, like, kind of just, like, overcome her, and I try to distract her. Like, I would say, like, let me read a book to you, and I don't know how, but somehow it worked. I guess my prayers <laughs> worked. They were answered. Yeah, they were answered. Do you think when this was going on, when she looked at you, did she recognize you as her daughter or just some other person she didn't even know? What was the relationship, do you think, in her head? In her head, she told me that she was trying to do it because 
the end of the world was coming and like I needed to be saved. So she was doing it out of kindness because God needed me. But, you know, she was so far gone in her illness. She didn't recognize herself, I don't think. You know, there was no emotion. Like, she had no emotion when she was doing this. Which is hard, because my mom and I were very close. But up until the summer, we were like, she was my best friend. So this really had an impact on my trust issues. And it really changed me who I was as a person. I guess then to kind of bring this part to um, some kind of an understanding, mm-hmm. you know, the sun comes up the next day and the days pass, but I'm just trying to understand how someone that young goes, where do you go from there? What is life like? I mean, you're living there. You could go to bed tonight and the same thing happens. Yeah. So the next morning, as I said, I was waiting for my friend to knock at the door. She's always very diligent and on time and she did knock at the door and I I said oh like I need to see who that is and I can't it's hard to explain because my mom's brain was just so like out there I was like I just need to answer this door please just let me answer their door and she said okay and I ran I like opened the door and I ran you know I had markings on my on my neck and my friend was kind of like what happened and you're so young it's hard to like process what happened and I told her but in as I was telling her we were walking over to my cousins which was just a few blocks down the street and by the time I had reached my cousins my aunt was on the phone with my mom and my aunt was like your mom does not sound good what's going on and I wouldn't I didn't tell her at that time at that time that day my mom my aunt went over there and they had checked my mom into a psychiatric hospital. Yes. So I didn't have to go back to my mom. So that was the last night there? Yeah. So you're not living there. I was kind of bouncing around relatives, but I landed on living with my great aunt. That's when I met Cody. How'd you meet Cody? It was a year after the incident with my mom. I was actually in a pretty good place. I had made a lot of like friends with girlfriends and a lot of great support just with, with friends. And I was just trying to find myself who I was at that time. I was doing a lot of running and I love track. Yeah. So one day, one of my best friends, she said, Hey, met this new girl at school. Like, let's, let's go over to her house and hang out. So, of course, like, that's just what we did. So I, the first time I went over to her house, I had seen him. And I was like, oh, man, he's really cute. But he was older than me. I was 14 at the time. He was 17. So I was like, well, I'm not on his radar. I just left it at that. But then I just kept on going over to that friend's house. And it was just, you know, we would do sleepovers and Eventually, he started kind of noticing me. Really, the thing that started our courtship, I guess I would say, is I was leaving my girlfriend's house late one night, and my aunt said, hey, you need to have someone walk you home. Even though it was a rural town, she's like, you need to have someone walk you home, a parent or something. And this particular friend, their parents weren't really around much. So Cody offered 
you know, hey, I can walk you home. No big deal. He's 17. You know, there's nothing bad that could happen to me with an older boy on the street. So he walked me home and we immediately started back then. It was Facebook messaging. And so we just kept on talking and talking until finally one day he asked me to be his girlfriend. And I was completely ecstatic. Yeah, that was an achievement for you. Oh, yeah. I was like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe he noticed me. I thought I looked so awkward. So, yeah, the the red flag started really quickly into the relationship. But I this was my very first relationship, and I never had a good example of what a relationship is supposed to look like. Or a red flag, for that matter. Yeah, like it was never, you know, it was never talked about because... My parents were walking examples of red flags, and I just thought that was normal. So what kind of red flags do you recall? So I remember the first one. I was super excited. We were going to do a girls' day, just me, like his sister, and like two other girlfriends. And, you know, I was telling him, like I was meeting all the girls at his house because my girlfriend lived there as well. So I was like, I'm so excited to hang out with the girlfriends. Like, we're going to watch movies and get junk food. And he got really quiet. I was like, oh, hey, like, what's wrong? And he's like, well, you didn't ask me if I wanted to be a part of this. And I said, well, hey, like, you know, it's just a, it's girls time. Like, it's just a lot of fun. Like, we just talk about stupid stuff. And it's just girl time. And he was like, well, I feel really left out. I think it's ridiculous that you're hanging out with them and you're just leaving me out and we could have used this time to spend together. And I remember just being so confused. You felt confused, but in what way? I mean, were you thinking, why doesn't he understand this? Or, you know, what what are you thinking? Your confusion about what he had to say? Yeah, I was confused that he was upset that I was spending time with his sister and my girlfriends because I feel like that's just something that every girl does is just have their individual girl time without boys, especially at that age. Sure. So I was confused by that. I was confused why he felt left out because we were, you know, we were just going to talk about girly stuff like makeup and stuff. And let's not forget, watch the Gilmore Girls, as you had in your email, right? Yeah, that was our favorite thing. (laughs) So that was the first red flag. So when he was voicing his displeasure about you having girl time, when you look back and you try to remember how he served that up, do you recall what he had to say or how he said it? Yeah, um, he did say specifically, like, I feel left out now. Why am I not involved? Are you guys going to talk badly about me? Are you guys going to meet up with other boys? Is that what's going to happen? How about that? Okay. That's insightful. Yes. Did that put a question mark in your head at all about him? Or you just thought this is just a little rough moment and we'll be back to our courtship? Yeah. I was like, okay, maybe, you know, maybe this was just an off moment. Maybe it's my fault that I didn't tell him my plans ahead of time. And that's just, I was like, this is okay. But then the red flags just, they kept on coming. One day I was, I met up with him and I was wearing a little bit of makeup. I was just kind of diving into makeup. I didn't really know how to wear it. So it probably didn't look the greatest, but he, he was like, why are, he was like, why are you wearing makeup? 
and I was like, oh, I thought, like, you would like it, and he immediately was like, girls that wear makeup are just fake. He's like, I think it's ridiculous that you would even put makeup on your face. What are you asking for? Do you want other guys to take you out? So that was rough. Did he also critique what you were wearing? Did it get to that place? It did very, very quickly. We had started dating in June and then school started up in August. So I remember like putting on my first day outfit for school and it was just a skirt and a t-shirt. And I came down the stairs and of course he was there waiting for me at my aunt's house because I couldn't do anything alone, basically. You mean because of him, you couldn't do anything alone? Do you mean? Because of him, yeah. He was there like from when I opened my eyes to when I closed my eyes. He really did do this. What year in high school will you be and where is he in his schooling at this time? That's another awkward thing is I was a freshman in high school. He was a senior. Okay. Same school? Yeah. Same school and, you know, it's really rural. So it's a really small, I I think a total of like, they had junior high and high school all together. And I think the total was like 350 people. So everyone knew everyone. He's kind of your um, chaperone throughout your day. Yes. As I mentioned before, he was always there. Like we would ride the school bus instead of him just taking the bus from his bus stop. He would walk over to my house so we could ride the bus together and sit together. And now I'm realizing like it was so I couldn't talk to anyone else. And after school, he would come over to my aunt's house and he would just be there. And I finally lied. My aunt was pretty relaxed. She wasn't very strict. So I finally lied to him and said, hey, actually, my aunt says you have to leave by seven for bedtime. And like, he believed that. I would just like count <laughs> count down till seven because sometimes I just... I just wanted to be alone, listen to my music, and just be alone in my thoughts, but he didn't like that. Be able to breathe without him being there to monitor. Yes. I think if it's okay, I would like to wrap up high school, but go talk about the stalking. So while I was living at my aunt's, I acted like I was asleep because he wouldn't leave if I was awake, like on on the weekends. So I acted like I was asleep one time, so he would leave. Where are you when this is the uh, fake sleep act is happening? Are you just like in a living room or something? Where are you? So I'm actually in my bedroom. Like I said, my aunt was very lax. We would just hang out in my bedroom with the door closed all the time. Anything goes at that point. Yeah, unfortunately. And so one night I acted like I was asleep. I like saw he left and I was like, thank goodness. Like I just have some time alone. My cousin comes up and knocks at my door and she says, your boyfriend is in the bushes. Cody is outside. And I said, no way. We went into a room that was all the lights were off. And there, sure enough, like he was there and he was staring at my bedroom window. And it was just, it was insane. And I was like, this is not right. (laughs) You don't need anybody to tell you this isn't good. Yeah. So I called him. I was like, hey, why Why did you, why were you in the bushes? And his response was, well, why are you awake? I thought you were sleeping, so I went home. But now you're awake. Uh, and he was 
very upset that I was awake and like having literally any time to myself. So It's kind of your fault that he was in the bushes, I guess. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Turned it on its head. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, so. How'd that make you feel, you know, after you experienced that? Did you just say that's just another bump in the road? Or did you see that as being, I'm learning things I wish I didn't know? I felt really violated. Good word. I was upset that he was upset that I wanted time to myself. It was very frustrating. It was shortly after that that I told him, hey, I think we need to break up. This isn't working. I know people in abusive situations, you know, everyone's like, why don't you just leave? And it's, you can't. He said, you can't break up with me. And I said, I don't understand what you mean. Like, I'm breaking up with you. And I I can't even explain it because it's just like suffocation. The feeling of he just kept on showing up. He would go to my aunt's house. He would sit by me on the school bus. There was no escaping him. This concludes part one with Sharice. Be looking for part two as Sharice finds she's had enough of her compromised life with Cody and decides it's time to shift from victim to survivor. Thank you for listening to the When Dating Hurts podcast. We have been steadily moving up in podcast review rankings based on downloads in the relationships category. That means more and more listeners are getting the kind of advice that can improve lives for victims, survivors, and their families. If you feel we need to hear your story, do not hesitate to email me at billmitchell at whendatinghurts.com. That's billmitchell at whendatinghurts.com.